Yes, you, you lucky sausage. You found the Talk Marketing Show, where the League of Marvelous Marketeers give up everything you need to be more successful in your business. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Martin Henley, this is the Effective Marketing Content Extravaganza, and if you're new here, you won't yet know that I'm on a mission to give you everything you need to be successful in your business, providing, of course, that is, that what you need to be successful in your business is to be much more knowledgeable about and much more effective in implementing sales and marketing and of course, that's what you need if you're going to be successful in your business. You need more customers. You need more sales. You need more profit. You need a nicer car, a nicer house, nicer holidays, a better retirement. This is how you do it, is with sales and marketing. So if that sounds like it might be interesting or useful to you, you should do all the good things. You should like, you should share, you should comment, you should get involved. Um, so what goes on here is we bring you the marketing news. We review the very best and the very worst of marketing content on the internet. And whenever I can, I bring in somebody with knowledge relevant to the success of your business to extract that knowledge and share it with you, which is what is going on today. Today is talk marketing and I have a guest for you. So today's guest, let's go to the beginning. Today's guest is a mathematics and computer science graduate who went on to become a software tester for almost 12 years before finding his calling as a technical copywriter. He has been running his business, Esperian, since 2009, which has offered technical copywriting and LinkedIn consultancy and management of the Espresso community of 200 ethical business and solopreneurs looking to build effective online presences. He is the author of the book Content DNA, he was introduced to us by Sam Rathling, who tells us that he is quite the geek when it comes to all things LinkedIn. Today's guest is the relentlessly helpful LinkedIn nerd, the espresso community leader, and not a douche canoe. Today's guest is John Esperian. Good afternoon. Thank you very Good much morning, for having John. me, Martin. It's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be here, and thanks for that lovely intro. Cheers. You are very welcome. This is becoming my favorite part of this, is, is writing these little intros and delivering them. I'm delivering them better now. Sometimes I have a gap in recording them, and it all goes a little bit pear-shaped, but then it gets better. But it's not without its um, risks, you know, because some people purport to be things that they're not quite, and then you expect to have a conversation with them about those things, and they don't know anything about those things. So Sam, bless her, wants the world to think that she's a West Ham fan, but she's clearly not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, you've got to you've got to fulfill the promises that you put out into the world. If you say that you do something or support something, you've got to be able to back it up, haven't you? But um, I like those kind of conversation starters. And I, I recommend everyone comes up with something that is nothing to do with business so that you've just got a kind of a door to open so that you can start a non-salesy conversation. So putting stuff like that, 
so long as you can back it up, I think is a really um, useful thing to do, especially on LinkedIn, where it's all dry and boring and businessy otherwise. A hundred percent. You see, this is my, I've got an idea to bring about peace in the Middle East, because you know when you are watching a game show and you're not really interested, you don't care about these people, and then they give you a couple of stupid, silly facts like they're from Halifax and they work in a bank and they've got three kids. And then all of a sudden, you're kind of interested in them. Do you know what I mean? You've got that little bit of rapport. So my idea, I don't know if it's the whole solution, but I think there should be international game shows in the Middle East where people get to understand that people on the opposing side are also have jobs and careers and children and interests and hobbies and all those things. So technically, in a marketing sense, what we're doing is we're building rapport with our audience, aren't we? We are giving them a hook um, so that they understand that the people they're hearing from are human. Um, so we'll, we'll get the, the most uncomfortable thing we're going to talk about right now out of the way, um, which is that you actually are a Liverpool fan. I actually am, and my team won 7-1 last night, so I'm quite yes. happy. So it's a little bit of a roller coaster, isn't it, for Liverpool this year? It's been mainly down so far this season. Mainly or mainly down, up. But... Is it going up slowly? And then yesterday there was a huge, great big down. Doesn't say it was a up, it was a down. I don't know. I'm a Manchester United fan, so Liverpool are actually the enemy as far as I'm okay. concerned. Um, okay. so and well, we've had a so thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. We can talk. But because we know that we're human, we can have a conversation now, you know, like the game shows. Yeah, we, can, we, can, we can bond over a shared hatred of Man City who battered you recently and will be yeah. battering us on Sunday, no doubt. No doubt. That's frightening. That man is um, that man that they've got scoring three hat-tricks in eight Premier League games, beating the record by 40 games. It's not really fair that, that he's... I there's been there's been more than two million signatures to get him deport, deported <laughs> because it's not fair having him in the league. Yeah, but I can imagine does, a lot of listeners are like, what, "What on earth are you talking about right now?" Yes, I mean they are by and far, by far and away, the best team of the Premier League, like the standout team of the Premier League for the last eight years. And it would be more obvious if Liverpool hadn't been doing such an amazing job of keeping up with them, you know, and actually nicking a couple of trophies. And now That's they've true. added this. Is it rude to call somebody a freak? You know, it's like it's freakish that he scores that many goals with yep. that few yep. touches. Did you see him saying his goal was to have five touches and score five goals in a match? <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Actually, <laughs> it is he's actually crazy. so good. I think he's so good that you can't even dislike him. You just got to sit back and go, "That this is we're watching something amazing here. Let's just enjoy the fact that we've got such a good player in the league." So I don't, yes. I don't actually have any hatred towards Haaland. He's just no, uh, he's a top player. He's a top top player. I suspect he doesn't like Manchester United a little bit more than most people don't like Manchester United no. because of what the greatest player who ever played in the Premier League did to his um, poor old dad. <laughs> Yeah, good old Kino, eh? Yeah. Good old Kino, yes. There we go. Good. Have I passed the test? Do I, do I know something about football? You do, yeah. I'm happy to report that you are an okay. actual football fan. You know what's going on, yeah. yeah. Poor cool. old Sam needs to get herself on a course if she's going to try and pass herself off as a West Ham fan. And the thing is, I think it's fine. I think you don't have to. It's a little bit like your pineapple thing, you know? It's like you just want to put something in there that gives people leverage, you know? It gives someone... Like that little yeah. hook to, yeah. It's exactly that. I call them conversation hooks because, you know, the, the, one of the big problems I see when I look on LinkedIn profiles is that 
people treat it like an online CV and it's all very professional and it's all very nicely formatted and stuff, but you don't actually get to know who the person is behind the photo. And yes. in a world with lots of options, you know, you're just going to forget that accountant or whatever, because all you had was a list of skills. You don't really know the person. So it might seem, it might seem a little bit superficial to, to do stuff that is away from your business, but, but conversations are where all the business happens on LinkedIn. So just putting in something that's a bit of a pattern interrupt that people go, yes. what's that? That's interesting. Or that's memorable. Um, it, it's really valuable. I think really valuable. One, there was a guy that I used to work with. I, I used to work selling on the telephones. And I worked for a company called the Parliamentary Review. And there was this Muslim Glaswegian guy there called Moeen Yassin. And his opener, if he got a decision maker on the phone, was I am Moeen Yassin and the sky is green. And he would say this like 40 times a day. And you can't imagine these people on the other end of the phone, like the shock. They've got this Glaswegian bellowing down the phone at them. Um, and he won all the comp competitions every week. This is the only reason that it's relevant that he's... Um, and this was in the 90s, so the, the, the price was always champagne. So this guy must have had like a garage full of champagne. He definitely never drank it, you know. It's, um, so this breaking... What did, you, what did you call it? Breaking... You could call it a pattern interrupt. You know, yes, it's just a pattern really not expecting to see that yes. just piques someone's curiosity. And, and if that gives you a marginal edge, that, that's all you need, you know, just to open the door to a conversation. Yes. Well, the thing is, I think you've got to pull people out of everything that's going on for them already. You know, because yeah. if you don't do that, you, you don't have a chance. They're not hearing you. They're not listening. You know, so you've actually got to it's you've got to shock people, I think, out of what's going on and the pineapple thing isn't going to shock anyone necessarily but it might just give them a like a oh there's a thing you know mm -hmm. so before we start proper it seems to me i don't know if this is a phrase but i've just made it up so i'm going to share it with you now it seems to me like people are chewing both ends of the bone on linkedin because as you put it there's a very sterile very professional kind of profile mm -hmm. and then there's this awful i think trend where people are sharing really, really personal things, you know, yep. like sentimental, emotional things. And that just seems weird to me. It seems like the line is somewhere in the middle and people aren't in the middle. They're on both ends. They're doing the sterile thing on their profile and the very yep. intimate, personal thing on, in their content, in their posts. Absolutely, yeah. There's a, there's a spectrum and on the far left, you've got professional. And on the far right, you've got private. And, and yes, neither position in extremis is, is optimal, I think. If you're 100% professional and you don't put any of your personality or any of yourself into your content, then people won't be able to form an emotional attachment to you and they yes. won't be able to remember you. And at the other end of the spectrum, if you just bleed on the page all the time, then that probably takes away from whatever it is that you actually want to be known for. And people yes. might think that you're, I don't know, they might think that you're an unstable person who probably couldn't be trusted with their hard-earned dollars. So the, the, the reality is we've all got to pick where we fall on that spectrum, but 0% and 100% are not good places to live. Uh, they really are we, we should just put our personality into everything we do and choose our level of comfort of what we put out into the world, remembering that the internet remembers everything. 
Yes. Um, but don't don't go to the extreme ends because neither of them is optimal. No. And what I've come to realize is that I'm a relationship seller and I always have been. And I only realized it recently because somebody wrote a book about value and I got to interview them and I realized, okay, that's what I've always done. So I always want to be mates with you if you're my customer. I kind of want to be the mate that you go to when you've got a problem with the thing that I'm a specialist in. You know, that's kind of where I want to position myself. So 100%, when I'm having conversations with my customers, it will be about their families, their holidays, their football teams, their, all of these things. But that's a place that you go to with somebody. Do you know what I mean? It's not the way you start, you know. And it's certainly, I wouldn't, I mean, maybe with some of my customers, I'm good enough friends that I'll be interested if they have a bereavement in the family. Do you know what I mean? And, and I want to be supportive and all those things. But yeah, it just, it makes it an unpleasant place to be for me because I, t I tell you why I think it is. It's because people don't know how to talk about the value that they deliver. They don't really understand the value they deliver and they don't know how to talk about it. That's my feeling. If they were able to contribute something value and valuable and relevant about what they do, then they wouldn't have to lean on this crutch of... Yeah. We, we, we talk a lot in marketing about no like and trust. And I think a lot of people just forget that like is in the middle of that. You know, you, you can't just turn up and then immediately be trusted. Um, it really works like that. So I, I think if you want to do anything that's remotely around organic marketing, bringing people to select themselves into your sphere, you've got to be in some way likable or relatable. And, and that means just not being 100% about business. And yes. And if you have a long-term approach to business, which is what I do, then it's okay to develop relationships that lasts months or even years before you ever make an ask. Yes. Um, because somewhere down the line, that person might want to do business with you or might want to refer you. So, so there's no problem. There shouldn't need to be a rush. Whereas the other business model, very much the, the, the kind of push, 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 make 100 phone calls a day, put your ads everywhere – is all about trying to get results yesterday. And that, that yes. just leaves me cold. And I, I, I really, I don't get involved in any of that kind of stuff at all. Excellent. Good. Because I don't think there's, like you say, especially long-term value. I think there are like smash and grab merchants. I know what I think. I think that people are, um, they don't believe that they deliver value. They don't even wonder why their customers continue to buy from them. Um, and they are just out there hoping that someone will buy from them. Do you know what I mean? And I, I think the core to being in business is to understand exactly who you can help and how you help them. And then the marketing piece is just about how you communicate that to people that you're communicating with for the first time, I think. Um, I just want to say very quickly, I, I'm i just a bag full of issues is what you will learn about me, Asperian, um, John. So, um, um, so that's just what I am. Um, but I was complaining about this to Sam and Sam gave me an excellent tip to make my feed more interesting which is to go and hit the notifications bell on the people that I'm interested in. So I'm marketing this podcast as like the International League of Marvelous Marketeers. So now what will happen is your your posts will appear on my feed and I'll start liking them. And, you know, I've got away entirely from, from that kind of content, which is good news. There's one more thing that I want to talk about before we get into the structured bit, which is um, you are a mathematics and computer science graduate. And yeah, I was good at maths. I was good at maths at school, so I just decided to study at a university. But that was, uh, in in hindsight, although it gave me a good grounding, it's like it's it's nothing close to what I'm really doing now. So, um, no. Well, yeah. I don't know if it. Well, I, I mean, you'll know how far away it is from what you're doing. 
But I think to be a marketer, especially now in 2022, where we are working advanced digital marketing, you know, we've been doing this now for 10, 15 years. Um, I think more than ever, like an effective marketer has to be part nerd, part creative. Mm -hmm. And it strikes me in the short conversations that we've had and from spending some time looking at your stuff, that you might be the walking embodiment of that. Well, that's very kind of you to say. Uh, thank you. Uh, I think if you don't, if you don't have any concept that you need to measure the things that you're doing, then your success is probably down to complete luck. You just don't know what's working. So I think there needs to be some measurement going on so that you can do more of what works and less of what doesn't. The challenge with things like personal branding is a lot of it is kind of is, is emotional and it's very hard to put numbers around those things. Like if I turn up and produce some helpful content for someone, they might just think to themselves, that's a helpful guy. I'll, I'll you know, I'm going to look more favorably on his stuff in the future and I'm going to go and tell my cousin to go and hire him in three months time. You, you it's hard to measure those kind of things, but the, the net effect is, is clear because if you build a good personal brand, people will come and self-select and, and, and you, you know, your business will grow. So there, what I'm saying really is there are some things that you can measure, obvious metrics that you can measure, how many comments you're getting on your posts, for example, as a clear sign that maybe you're doing something right or maybe you're doing something very wrong. But there are intangibles um, and so the more you can at least control the controllables, the better chance you've got. I look at everything in terms of probability, you know, the better chance you've got of being having some longevity in the market. Yeah, I think 100%. And I think the thing is, it was John Wanamaker, wasn't it? said half of my advertising is effective. I don't know which half. I don't know which half. That was, yeah. yeah, that was 160 years ago. And what I say, because I teach um, for money is what I do. And what I say to my groups is like, if, if you, someone came to me, me from my team and said that to me now, we would take them out to the car park and dispense with them because the whole benefit of digital marketing is that you get this feedback and you just have to be bright enough to take it on and, and report it and be able to use it to be more effective. Um, so yeah, so that's cool. I'm excited about this, man. I'm really excited. Good stuff. I, I'm going to give you, before you dig into your thing, actually, I'm yep. going to give you an alternative approach. And I can't remember whether Sam mentioned this in, in your interview with her, but the, the whole clicking the bells thing is something I've also tried. I've, I've since moved away from that because my notifications got too busy. And so what I recommend now as a better approach is to go to this screen where you can see all of the people that you're following and apply some quite strict rules to who you continue to follow and remove everyone else. So, okay. so I have the three, what I call the three E's, which is education, entertainment, and enterprise. If someone falls into one of those buckets, you continue to follow them. If they don't, you remove them from your following list. So if they're teaching you something, you continue to follow them. If they're making you laugh or, or improving your experience in some way, you continue to follow them. And if they're a client or a prospective client, you continue to follow them because unfollowing those people would be really dumb. <laughs> and everyone else, you can just click the unfollow button. They won't get a notification. And what that does is it, it really pairs down the menu of stuff that you can see in your feed. And that makes your feed 
stronger because you know every time you turn up you're going to see something you actually want to see yes. and you're going to engage more with those people because linkedin has fewer decisions to make about what to show you you know if you were following a thousand people and you pair it down to a hundred well linkedin's going to have a lot easier time going this stuff and this stuff and this stuff but not all of this uh, and i think that's a more productive way of pruning um your feed to make it more relevant rather than saying i just want to see these people's stuff because i think that's a bit too limiting okay um, well, that's my approach excellent super cool well, i will now implement that as well it's got so much better is the truth um mm -hmm. and now i can actually if i can preen the people i'm following and the people that linkedin even has to make a decision about then that would make it yeah. even better again and let's just say the last thing before we get into the structure is you definitely walk the walk because you sent me a message today congratulating me on achieving 10,000 followers. And I don't even know that. So I'm kind of interested to know how you know that. <laughs> well, I happened to be looking at your profile and I knew that you were getting close to that before when we first connected. And it's, uh, it's one of those things about personalization that I teach people. Don't just wait for someone's birthday to come along so that you can send someone a trite kind of happy birthday. This is our opportunity to do some networking. But you can look for any other opportunities to send a non-salesy message to someone. So yes. going through a follower threshold, a lot of people don't even know that they've done it. And so it's a nice surprise if you are the one to tell them, and especially if you've got a little image to go with it, which is what I do. Um, it's just a nice thing. So I, I don't, it's not a programmatic thing at all. It's just, I happened to notice it and I knew that we were speaking. So I thought I'd message you, but um, okay, yeah, fantastic. if you can do the things that, that are personal and that maybe don't scale, I think that that lands better with your audience. Like I, I couldn't possibly do that with thousands of people It'd just take me too much time, but yes, um, it, it, it's well received when it happens. Really well received. I thought this guy walks the talk is that what they do when they do things yeah they walk the talk they talk the walk and walk the talk or something yes. like that yeah. <laughs> those things sorry the last thing what's this douche canoe thing what what on earth are you talking about <laughs> see that's another conversation hook because that sometimes makes people laugh and other people go what what on earth is that well it relates to a chapter in content dna where i talk about I talk about the, the ideal customer profile, which is what I call the pen portrait, but I also talk about the opposite of that, which is the poison portrait that, you know, the person you absolutely don't want to deal with in your business, all the red flags go up. And I characterize that imagined person as the salesy douche canoe, you know, the too much of a tan, oversized gold watch, slick back hair, late to meetings, always wants his own way. It's like, look for red flags. And he's that salesy douche canoe. And I, and I talk about it in a chapter of the book. And so I, I put it in my headline and it often gets people asking. And it's a, again, it's a, just a nice non-salesy way to, uh, to, to put some personality into my presence on LinkedIn. Genius. I like you so much already, John. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay, cool. But let's bring some order to this, shall we? Um, because mm -hmm. we've already gone um, for 22 minutes and 33 seconds clearing all of these conversation hooks i like it i really like it um but you're already adding value so that's really cool so you know that there are only five questions the first mm -hmm. question is how are you qualified to talk to us about your specialist subject which is personal branding and linkedin visibility the second question is who do you work with how do you add value to their lives 
The third question is, what is your recommendation for anyone who wants to get better at personal branding and LinkedIn visibility? The fourth question, really easy, what should people read? And then the fifth question, who can you throw under the bus who might enjoy or maybe even enjoy to have a conversation like this with me? So sure. question number one, how are you, John Esperian, qualified to talk to us about personal branding and LinkedIn visibility? Well, after the software and hardware testing bit of my life was over, I spent more than a decade being a content writer. I got made redundant from my testing job, and I realized that I was actually quite good at explaining how stuff works. So I ended up writing content, ghost writing content for corporations, explaining how their products and services worked, widgets, remote controls, you name it. Uh, and then I, I was trying to find some more leads um, and I was looking on social media and nothing was working. And eventually I got into LinkedIn and me being a software tester, I was like, okay, what does this menu do? What does that button do? Why doesn't this work the way it's meant, obviously meant to work? Because LinkedIn is quite a, an unusual social network in that it has its own glitches and foibles. And I just took that kind of that computer science testing explanation background and I started showing people, I've just learned this about LinkedIn. I can't believe it works like this, but check this out. And I just kept doing that because I thought this is really helpful because I didn't know it. I was learning it. There weren't any supposed experts around showing me the way. I was just finding it out by myself. I thought that maybe there's something in this. You know, I can I can show people how to write well and how to use the those foibles of the platform to, to get a bit of an edge for visibility. That was about five and a half years ago. And it's now my full-time gig. People people assume that I'm, I don't do writing services anymore. Actually, about a month ago, I stopped doing that altogether. And uh, I just help people with LinkedIn visibility. And the whole personal branding thing really came around because I, I was kind of, I was inhabiting the brands of the companies I was working with. And it, it led me to kind of think, well, how did they build this? You know, what, what makes them this brand? And what does it even mean to be a brand? Um, and, I, and I had my own kind of epiphany while I was on stage um, at a conference and I was asked a question that wasn't planned. And uh, my marketing mentor was asking me and he said, you know, how are you going to remain relevant in a market full of options? And I, without thinking, I said, I'm going to create relentlessly helpful content. And a few people who were in the audience kind of like, mm, that's interesting. And that phrase stuck with me and people started echoing it back to me. And it was like call and response in a song. You know, it's like, you know, you're onto something when people start saying it. And I thought, I realized that that's it. That's me. And I had a really lucky moment there. I mean, that wasn't planned at all. And yet I've, I've got the core of a brand just percolating through my brain now maybe I could think of how others could construct this without having to rely on dumb luck. I wrote a book, it took me two years, and now I help people on LinkedIn. So that's personal branding and and LinkedIn um, is, is very much what I want to be known for. And yeah, that's what I specialize in there. Okay, super cool. And now you've got this community. So that maybe that's question number two, who do you work with? How do you add value? You've got yeah. this community. Um, My brand hero, I've got two, Mary Poppins and Toto. Okay. 
So Mary Poppins, because she is, like you, relentlessly helpful, she's got a million natty ways of getting things done. Toto, because he goes into the Emerald City and pulls down the curtain, and we all see it's just the old geezer turning the wheels. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. And that's kind of the way I see my role is like there's so much known about, spoken about marketing, so much of it untrue, and I'm trying mm. to just show people like that's the show. Here's what you need to do. Um, mm. But how should people be positioning themselves? Like what personal brand should people be aspiring to? Or how do you go about, I don't want to say manufacturing because that sounds too contrived. I don't want to yeah, say contriving. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not about any of those things. It's really about finding a way to read the label of the jar that you're in, which you might need some external help to do. But it's wow. revealing what are the best elements of you and then reinforcing the, that shape that you're putting out into the world as often as possible. Because realistically, people need to hear a message multiple times before they're ready to take action. Uh, and so when I talk about, you know, my, my core of my brand being relentlessly helpful, I will repeat that until the cows come home because I want that to that tiny little message to imprint itself on people's minds and and so that it's it's a referable thing it's a repeatable thing it's a thing that i'm known for and i'm being known for one thing on one platform and that's i always think that having a brand that is really crystal clear and simple like that is much better than trying to be known for 17 different things and no one can really sum up what you're about and therefore you've got no referral potential so Personal brand for me is really the set of thoughts and feelings and emotions that, that come to mind when you interact with someone or, 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 you know, or think about them. So you just want to be remembered for the smallest, clearest niche that you can. So for me, it's being relentlessly helpful on LinkedIn. And, and I've got a visual brand to go with it as well. So that, that hopefully is memorable too. And so if someone thinks I need some help with LinkedIn, who can help me with LinkedIn? Oh, it's that guy. If, if, I, if, I, if I can be top of mind for that thought, that, that I will have a sustainable business. So you don't need to manufacture anything, but you need to think about boiling down your skill set and what is true for you so that you can be known for that one thing so that you can be referred and, and, and get work. Um, and as I said, sometimes it's really hard to know yourself well enough to understand what your unique value proposition is. And so you might need, you know, your best friend or your best client to just, just to talk with them, to see what common threads come out so that you can reveal to the world and maybe even to yourself what it is that you want to be known for. Um, yeah. So, so it's not an easy thing to do. And I've, you know, I've written a whole book on the topic, so it, it can take time, but the value of it is huge because I, I think personally, I think I'm nicely differentiated from a lot of people who are supposed LinkedIn experts. I don't call myself a LinkedIn expert. I call myself a LinkedIn nerd, but I've got enough of a, a, a of a brand identity that maybe if you took away the colors and you took away the logo and you took away the blue shirt and all that, and you just saw my content, you hopefully you would go, I know who wrote that, you know, He's referring to douche canoes <laughs> and he's referring to pineapples and he's, you know, he's talking about craptacular things. 
that that's the lexicon that's the that's the shape of that person showing up and if you do it for long enough that's the other key thing that i must re-emphasize there won't be any overnight successes but if you turn up for months possibly years and you're good enough then then you won't be ignored even on a platform with 850 million people yeah, hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think it's about reading the label on the jar you're in. Might be the most profound thing I've heard this year. That is such well, I a can't, good. I, I can't take credit for that one. I got that from one of the people I interviewed for the book. Um, okay, and um, but it, you know what he said there that that imprinted well on me, and and I use that analogy a lot because, yeah, I think a lot of people just um, have have that especially Brits, they have that kind of hesitance thinking personal brand sounds constructed. It sounds manufactured. It sounds like a, the kind of thing a Kardashian would do, but actually it's really the modern term for reputation. And you need to think about what you can do to represent the truth so that people have the right thoughts and feelings when they think about you. And it has to be an honest representation because otherwise all you are doing is you're building a house of cards. Like I could pretend to be relentlessly helpful and then we meet in person and I could be a real, you know, well, I'm not going to swear, but I, I could be someone who really lets you down. Yes. In which case it's all a sham. It's meaningless. And these days I think we're better at smelling out fakes than, than ever. And so eventually, you know, you're going to come a cropper if, if you're selling a dream and then not being able to deliver. So you've got to, you've got to represent, you on your best day and then try and hold up to that as much as possible so make make the biggest public promises that are true that you can fulfill is is, is i suppose the the watchword yeah 100 percent. and it's like when i started my business in 2005 i went to yeslogo.com and i bought this little um tree icon for five dollars and i put mm. it on my business card uh, because it looked like the leaves looked like they might be money like it didn't um it didn't have a currency on it or anything like that it just looked like the shape of money you know and then i joined the bni and then i started standing up every tuesday wednesday thursday because i just went insane for it anywhere that, that would take me i was there and then i had this minute which was essentially my name's martin henley i'm in the i'm in the money shaking business i've got a business i've got a money tree it's the thing you've got money tree you come here to shake your money tree, all this stuff. Now, I was completely sick and tired, tired probably because I ever did it after about six months of doing this B&I. Mm. Um, but that resonated for years. There will, people, there will be people that I could meet tomorrow that would know me as the money tree guy. You yeah. know, so it comes back again to these hooks, doesn't it? Like the conversation hooks. It's just like the hook, like give people something to recognize you for. And then, like you say, just deliver it and evolve it and all of those things. Um, it 100% works. It 100% is necessary. I did a whole presentation once about brand, and it's not something that small businesses really invest in, let alone, let alone solopreneurs. You know, so does this come as a surprise when you are recommending to people that they should be investing in their personal brand? Yeah, it, it might feel like something that's big, too big and lofty for them. It's it's the kind of thing that Coca Cola do. You know, they, they they've got a brand of McDonald's. It's not something that you know Bob, who does accountancy down the street, would ever do. But actually, we've all got reputations, 
And it's a case of, um, you know, you can't, I, I sometimes make an analogy with rivers, you, you can't, you're not gonna be able to change the course of a river, but you might be able to do some things that, that, that steer the flow a little bit in your favor. So you just got to be mindful of the thoughts and feelings that you want people to have. And above all, be able to actually follow through with those things. Because if you can't follow through, then it's just a gimmick. Like yes. if, if you, you know, the money shaking thing is is a nice phrase, but if, if it doesn't actually relate to anything concrete in the real world that you can deliver for people, then it's just a sham, it, it's meaningless. Um, yes, so yes. you have to be able to fulfill your promises. Otherwise, otherwise you're going to yeah crash and burn eventually. Yeah. Well, no one's busted me yet. I think I'm, I'm doing okay. <laughs> um, what did I want to say about that? This thing about, you say it's really difficult for people to understand the value, to understand what's written on the outside of the jar that they're yeah, in. I would go further. I would say it's actually um, logically impossible because you're in business most people are in business to solve a problem for people, but it's a problem that they know how to solve. So how could they possibly know how it feels not to be able to solve that problem? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And when they're looking out and they're looking, I mean, it's just like that. It, it looks to me like it's the exact, they are the exact opposite of the people that they need to sell to. They might have dozens of problems of their own, but this particular problem that they're resolving is not a problem that they have. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, so I, would... I, I think. Yeah, I, I would say that the, the 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 best service providers who who can brand themselves well enough are those who have empathy with the people who are they're most trying to serve, and that's why something like a pen portrait ideal customer profile is really helpful because you you know what kind of problems that people are really searching for and that they're struggling with. And you know your skill set well enough that you can deliver. One of the other challenges is is the thing called the curse of knowledge, which is you know we we tend to downplay our own skills, or maybe we're not even cognizant of them because we do them all day every day. Like if you're a video editor and you spend all day in Final Cut Pro and you're whizzing around the menus, and someone else who didn't have a clue what you were doing were looking at you, they'd go, "That just looks like magic. I, I have no idea what you're doing." And yet the person in control will be going, well, I'm just, I'm just, you know, adding a new transparency layer to this. It's, it's obvious, isn't it? You know, you, you take for granted your own skills without realizing that your prospective customer might have no concept of how that works in practice. So the more you can think like a newbie, and that means having some empathy for the people you're trying to serve, uh, the more you can reveal the things that they would find valuable if only they knew they existed and, and content is the vehicle to get them to having that understanding that you know you can do all these great things and and maybe you're the person to trust yeah 100 percent. and you're right the most effective i mean you're talking about branding like that's only something that coca-cola or british airways invest in like only the most successful corporations in the world would do that do you know what i mean it's like there's a clue, <laughs> you know, the reason they're successful might be because they've yeah. invested so much in their brand. Um, mm -hmm. So there's that. And then you see, I think it even goes further. I think it goes to the point where lots of businesses really don't understand the value that they are offering, the value that they're delivering, because whether it's this curse of knowledge or whatever it is, it seems so normal to them. And then I think that means that they don't necessarily have the the 
the confidence to stand up and start shouting and saying, this is the, the really sensible things. This is who we can really help. This is how we help them. This is the evidence. You know, if you're suffering in this way, then then this is how we help. And I think this is where agency becomes really important, like somebody outside of you looking in. And my experience of being an agency was that businesses really were looking for that validation, i.e., you're doing a good thing. You've got a good product. You've got a good service, whatever it is. Um, so I think it's critical like that. And I'm imagining with your particular market, ethical businesses and solopreneurs, that might be even more the case. I think a lot of them feel hesitant to try and promote themselves. They'd rather maybe stay stay a little bit hidden because that feels safer. And it's, yes. it's the people the brash extroverts who go and promote themselves and you know and that's a shame because i like seeing good hearts and minds win and and that's those are the people i'm trying to help you know i spent more than a decade writing ghost writing often for big corporations who had me under nda and i was just making rich people richer and that was the, the you know that's that's a uh feels like a kind of emotionally bankrupt place to be really whereas now you know, those post-it notes that you see behind me, they're, they're the members of my organization. <clears throat> and almost all of them are single person businesses who are, you know, they're, they're just trying to make their way in the world. They're not trying to rip anyone off. They're, they're doing good things. They're committed to their craft and they, they just need someone to hold their hand and tell them it's going to be okay and give them some ongoing help to, to get their inner without sacrificing their morals or, or whatever um or or putting a bikini on and dancing or, or something ridiculous you know for attention um so yeah that that feels much more nourishing to me it's potentially it's not going to be the way that i make lots and lots of money but then that's not that's not a life goal for me anyway you know i'd rather help us a group of people to do good things so long as i'm paying my bills that, that's kind of all i need and that's where we are right now yeah and this is a large part of my driver like the way i see the world now is basically it's small businesses versus the corporations and there is i'm gonna i'm going to produce a video shortly called why the world needs small businesses but it's small businesses who deliver all the value you know corporations don't like people think that corporations are innovative but they forget that um, zuckerberg was a student when he made facebook you know and they think and, and all these other things, like everything that was invented was invented by small businesses. Like very rarely Apple came up with the, with the iPad and the iPhone. So sometimes there's that kind of innovation. Um, but really, innovation, like the proximity of service to plate. Do you know what I mean? Like small businesses are feeding families. Small businesses are paying their taxes. Small businesses are fixing things. Small businesses are supporting other so small businesses. So this is where... I am now is, you know, I'm definitely looking to empower small businesses in their fight with these corporations because a mate of mine was a butcher and greengrocer for 25 years until they moved to Tesco's convenience store, like three um, shops away from his businesses. And within two months, he was closed. You know, he just could not possibly compete. So, yeah, this is the war. I don't know if you're also seeing yourself as part of that war, but it'd be nice to know that somebody out there was also fighting that battle. 
Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm so used to having bad customer services, especially here in the UK. It's great when you see small businesses who actually know the names of their customers and who will just, you know, maybe just check in on them, just see if they're okay. <laughs> not yeah. not trying to tell them anything, but just, you know, like Apple and McDonald's and all that, that they don't know your name. They don't really care about you. I mean, they, they want your money, but there's there's no real care. There's no, there's no close interface, as you mentioned there. But um, yeah, small businesses do that, and it's it's lovely to see them thrive. And yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. Yes, the numbers are going up, and I think that corporations are becoming more derelict, like they are investing less in customer service. You know, and for me now, I won't sign up for a service unless I've tested like, can I actually get someone on the phone if this goes horribly wrong? Do you know what I mean? Because um, if you can't, you're just kind of dead. They don't care. You know, like one person could absolutely get lost. The last thing I want to say about the British thing is that it is a little bit harder if you are a small British business because like we have our decorum and we are we need to be cool. Um, mm. But it's really not cool to be seen to be trying, I think, in the UK. Mm. Like yeah. everyone wants you to be successful, but don't look like you're trying to be successful. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's certainly if you're out there talking about how much money you made last month because, you know, your business is doing well, that's that that might work for an American audience and they'll applaud you and go, yeah, that's a great example. If you did that here, again, I'm not going to swear, but I, I know what people would be saying in the comments if, if you were yes. just doing that all the time. So uh, it's just to, about turning up and just telling the, to telling an authentic story that, you know, and um and just showing that you're trying your best and that you're a, just a human being like everyone else. And yeah. if you do that, if you can do that consistently, then I think people will get behind you. But yeah, I think they will. The whole boastful thing is, it's just, that doesn't feel right on me at all. Here's something that I wish I'd known when I started my business. Is that the people closest to you want you to do okay. You know, they want you to be okay. Nobody else gives a shit. <laughs> Oh, absolutely, you know, yeah. When you realize that, it's so, um, what's the word, um, releasing, empowering, because it's like, mm. you know what, I could fail. Like the people closest to me, they'll be yeah. cool with it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and they'll support me to do something else. And the rest of them really couldn't care and probably won't even notice, you know. So yeah. I think there, there's a very particular dynamic around an emotion around being a small business, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you just take any given person on the street, the most important person in their life will be them. And yes. the amount of mental space that you occupy in their mind will be vanishingly small. And so yes. that, that is quite liberating that they don't really care. And so, you know, all right, you haven't done your hair for a video or something. They, people probably won't even notice. You know, it doesn't really matter. Um, so, so, yeah, stop stop worrying and just go and do your thing. A hundred percent. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent with that. Okay, good. Do you want the good news? Go for it. I think you are eminently qualified to talk to us about personal branding and LinkedIn visibility. Okay, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a relief when we get here because one day I'm going to have to tell somebody like you clearly don't yeah. know what you're talking about. You're a charlatan. Let's, let's cut this now. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, cool. So that takes us then to question number two, which is your opportunity to have a little boast um, about who you work with and how you add value to their lives. And maybe mm -hmm. some more of the mechanics about because what's different about you than the other LinkedIn type people that we've had 
is that you do this organically. Um, mm -hmm. So that's interesting. Yeah. Really interesting because the feeling is always like the algorithms got to a place where you can't achieve anything organically. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, that might be true in a few years' time. I don't think we're anywhere close to that right now. Um, so I got to, I, I now pay for a LinkedIn account, but before I did, I got to 34,000 followers on a completely free account, never having paid LinkedIn a penny. So, and that's that's within the last couple of years. So it's definitely possible. And I think it because of the way LinkedIn is built, they're not likely to do what Facebook have done with their feed, where essentially if you want visibility, you're going to have to place some ads. On yeah. LinkedIn, most of their money actually comes from, you know, selling massive recruiter licenses to people for, for tens of thousands of pounds um, and, and people buying things like premium subscriptions. That means that they don't have the impetus to monetize the the, the feed in the same way that all of the other social media networks do. And, and therefore, organic visibility potential will continue on LinkedIn for some time yet until they until they get very, very greedy anyway. Um, yes. And then in terms of the people I serve, and we kind of already covered this, but I used to serve corporates in my copywriting life. But now I find it much more nourishing to serve small business owners and, and solopreneurs. And so uh, those are the people I try to help with my LinkedIn tips for, for online visibility and personal branding. And to that end, I, I kind of concentrated my efforts by monetizing a community, um, which I did at the start of 2022, which is called Espresso Plus. And that's for people who want ongoing support, access to me, access to other like-minded individuals to ask questions, talk, uh, have accountability challenges, and, and we do things like live Q&As each month and I'll do a, a review of people's content to see what's working and what isn't working. And I'll do a, a roundup of what's new on LinkedIn. So all of that stuff is private inside the community. And it's deliberately small because I want to keep that personal approach. I've been in communities where their aim is growth. And so a personality or personalities in, attract you to the campfire, but then actually someone else is is actually toasting the marshmallows. You know, it, it, it's not them. You you came in for the celebrity, but but it's someone else who's, you know, a community manager who's doing the day-to-day -day stuff. And I thought, I'm never going to do it like that if I ever run one. So I'm doing everything. And that means that I can only service, uh, you know, a set number of people. So I've said Espresso Plus will be at most 300 people and, and then I won't be able to cope. So I'm going to close the doors at 300 if we get there. Um, so yeah, so so people who buy into my community are essentially buying into me, and they'll know that I'll I'll be there to to help them every day. Cool, because I think the thing is that everyone. I mean, this is you're, there's probably a name for it. You'll give us the name in a second. But there's is it a missing the boat syndrome? It's like it's too late to invest in property. It's too late to invest in building a community. It's too late to do all of these things. But if you've built this paying community. This year, is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's right. That That's after spending five years building my personal brand and understanding how LinkedIn worked enough that I've got trust. You know, I've got social uh, capital in the bank. People think that I'm not going to rip them off and I'm going to be providing something of value given that I've put out five years worth of free content that they found valuable as it was. Um, yes. So I don't think that someone who's listening to this who thinks, Maybe I should start a community. If you're going from zero, 
it's going to be hard. Who, who's going to trust you with, with, with their money per month or per year? That's going to be difficult. I think you need to show your evidence of your expertise through public content as much as you can. Um, and then that will probably give you the platform to, to justify having a paid community. The stronger that your personal brand is, the more likely you are to attract people who think and act the same way as you. So I always talk about attracting good hearts and minds. That's all I'm really interested. I don't care if you're a carpenter or an accountant or a logo designer or anything, or if you're based in India or if you're based in the UK. It's your personality profile and, you know, the whole kind of ethical side of things that I really like and and an aversion to buying your way to success. I don't like the whole ads thing. I'd rather do things organically, which means that it does take some time. But patience, I think, is, is valuable in this game. And as I say, organic visibility on LinkedIn, it might go away in a few years time. That's true, because LinkedIn might get greedy and go, this is another thing that we can monetize. But when that happens, LinkedIn will, I think, will change completely. Right now, they're earning plenty of money. The, the profits keep going up for Microsoft, who's the parent company. They have no need to spoil, you know, contaminate the water by putting ads, you know, and, 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 and reducing organic visibility. And actually, I don't know how many users Facebook has got. You're probably better qualified, but I'd guess at least 2 billion. You know, LinkedIn's got 850 million users at the moment, and maybe between one and 3% of people are actively creating content. That's not a lot of people. So I think there's a lot of potential for visibility yet. They're, they're making a very concerted effort to attract younger users, people coming over from TikTok, coming over from Instagram, and there are tools that they're implementing that, that appeal to that generation of people. So they're definitely trying to bring the creator community onto LinkedIn but there's still a vast expanse of water that hasn't been filled yet. So if you're worrying that, you know, I, I've missed the boat, um, I don't think you have. If we were sitting here in five years' time, then then maybe everything will be saturated and, and there'll be no chance. But if you don't start building that competitive advantage now, then then you definitely will have missed the boat in, in some years' time. Okay, yeah, 100%. And the thing is, you're right, Facebook have been the most effective at closing the door you know that you don't get any value out of facebook anymore even as an individual i think unless you're paying although you don't you wouldn't pay if you're an individual but they've been most effective in closing the door and i've always presented it quite disparagingly about linkedin and i've told people that they kind of give away the baby and and charge for the bathwater i just made that up i don't know if that works <laughs> but it's like they they charge for the they give away the good stuff and they 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 charge for the not particularly valuable stuff. So like a premium will get you three in-mails, like three <laughs> direct messages in a month are going to deliver anyone any value. Like, But Sam convinced me that Sales Navigator really does offer some value. So you're sitting in the middle. How, how I, I, th I think I've the reason I got a premium subscription, which is just over, well, about a year and a half ago, was was just because of reputation. Because I had someone in a training session once, someone in Germany said, it would very, be a frank German. Him, very frank of him, he said, how can we trust someone who doesn't even pay for a LinkedIn account? And I thought, hmm, if he thinks like that, I might be putting some people off, even though, you know, I, I'd like to think that I've definitely got the kudos to be doing this. 
Yeah. It's a perception thing. So I'm basically paying for a gold badge. It doesn't actually do anything to change my life on LinkedIn because I can do all of the things of creating my profile, creating video, putting out all the posts, doing my DMs, sending people voice notes, all that good stuff and getting organic visibility is not dependent on paying LinkedIn a penny. But yep. for me, it's a reputational thing. I don't bother sending in mails because that's the whole cold outreach thing. Like I'd rather go and comment on someone's content, connect with them, have a DM exchange, send them a voice note, send them a video, maybe get on a Zoom call. It's a slow ramp up to trust. I, I wouldn't just go straight, boom, here's my offer. Do you want to join my community? Like, Who's going to say yes to that? It's just a, it's a pointless endeavor. It is a pointless endeavor. Um and there was something else that I wanted to say about that. LinkedIn is, I have to be careful because things, people don't understand that things can be preposterously good, but LinkedIn is preposterously good. It is insane. Like what I tell people is that LinkedIn is the largest, most dynamic, most up-to-date, most accessible database of business to business decision makers that will ever exist. And I started work in 1993 or something. And my job was to phone corporations and speak to receptionists and try and work out who did what. That was what I did. Now, anyone could put a list of all 62,000 marketing managers in the UK together in yeah. about a minute and a half. You know, it is absolutely insane, the value of this thing, which then leads to the next obvious insanity, which is that people still... People who are doing it aren't doing it well, you know, and there's not actually, I don't think, a significant percentage of people who are doing it. Um, so now what you have to tell us, John, is how to do it well, because like, I'm kind of intrigued how you put together, like, my, my, like I've got 10,000 followers. I know that now, thanks to you today. I've got no idea how that happened. Um, so I've got no idea how you got to more than 30,000 and then also I'm interested to know how you put together a community like in the last year. Is it more than 200 people now? Yeah, it's about 230 people now. So, I mean, how did, how did I grow my following? It's really purely through creating content that attracted people to my comments and ultimately to my DMs and, and, and you know, we make connections over, over, those, uh, over that content. So content was the, um, was the magnet for all of that stuff. There was no outreach at all. I do sometimes invite people to connect. If, for example, they've commented on my stuff and I, they look like a nice person and they haven't actually tried to reach out, I might go, oh, thanks for that comment. Let's let's have a chat. Let's let's connect. Um, but generally, people invite me to connect. So it's been a, it's been a slow process. But uh, you know, I gather all my stats, so I kind of know how long it takes to jump from. The, to the next thousand, if you like. Uh, and at my height, which is probably about two years ago, I was jumping a thousand followers every 19 days. It was crazy. It's, it's slowed right off now, but then I'm not really chasing any kind of growth of followership. I'm just chasing, if I'm chasing anything, it's people to opt into the community. And, and those people who have opted into the community usually have been people who have been following me for years. They see all the free stuff. And they, they will naturally go, well, okay, if that's, if that's what I'm getting for free, then having direct access to you and, you know, other peers in a paid setting um, will, will be valuable. So, so some of them have opted into that. Um, the, the, the paid community actually started as a, a LinkedIn group, which was free. Um, and I started that because I had this email list 
and I was having lots of interesting one-to-one conversations with my subscribers. And I thought, these people need to get to know each other because they'd really like each other. And so I created a free group, you know, naively thinking, oh, this will just be an extra little task, no problem. And then 650 people joined it, and and it was just like a full-time job, just trying to moderate all of that and introducing people and adding content and answering questions. And I thought, I've either got to drop this or I'm going to have to monetize it somehow. And I chose the latter, and, and that actually was much more fulfilling than the copywriting work that I was doing during the day. So I've just been the copywriting work, and now you know the people who stuck around are, are paying my bills. So that's uh, it's worked out quite nicely. I think what you're doing is underrated, which is actually taking the trouble to select the people that you want to be supporting. And I tell this, as people, this to people, this is the point of marketing. The point of marketing is to have so many opportunities to sell or more opportunities to sell than you need so you can start to be really selective about who you end up doing business with. Um, yeah. Because otherwise, you've just got to do business with everyone who comes to your door. And people who make it all the way to your door, they're not the, they're not the nicest people, <laughs> yeah. in my experience. Another marketing thinker did once tell me that marketing is like a magnet. And if you do it well, if you do your marketing and your personal branding well, you will attract the right people and you will actually actively discourage the wrong people. So, so that means that like-minded people opt into the stuff that you're doing. They'll buy your book, they'll join, you know, buy your course, join your community, and everyone else will go on oh, that bloke who does the cartoons in his content, you know, or uses silly slang in his his, his stuff. He's not for me, and they they don't even trouble you. They they they, they yes. move on to the next person, and that means that you just reduce your headaches. I think a lot of people don't realize that one of the values of branding is reducing your headaches because the the people who like you will stick around the people who hate you will will kind of stay at the edges and maybe they'll troll you a bit or something but essentially they're not really relevant to you and they won't take up your working day too much so it's it's a good polarizing personal brand is a good polarizing tool cool so everything you do is about like people can come into the community you're not running campaigns you're not producing content from people you're not you're not providing those services you're literally supporting them to do it yeah that's right that's right and um you know obviously i want like-minded people to come in there and 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 we talk about the the point of the community although i'm most known for linkedin but we'll also talk about personal branding creating how best to create content how best to get ethical online visibility so that that can extend to things like Google My Business and YouTube. And, you know, it's not just LinkedIn, but although that's obviously yeah. my strong suit. And that's what we talk about all day. So it's a, it's a really busy hub. And um, as I say, yeah, it's working out pretty well at the moment. Okay, super cool. So they get some access to you. Is there like, if they need you, they get access to you. If there's availability yeah, can, in your calendar, they get access. Yeah, you know, that's, that's right. Yeah, they can DM me anytime. And I'm, I mean, I'm answering all the questions in the group every day. And like I said, I don't outsource anything. So that this is my gig. <laughs> um, yes, yes, so yes. so it, it's a, it's an easier way to get a closer interface to me. I mean, I, I try, you know, the whole thing about being relentlessly helpful is I'm trying to help as many people as I can. And so anyone who doesn't pay me a penny can still ask me a question Obviously, yeah. if, if a customer's asking me something, I'll probably prioritize them first. But I'll try and help anyone who's a, who I think is a good actor um, and, and who needs some assistance. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Cool. So I suppose if we want to know what that content looks like, then we just need to scroll back through your 
your posts and your updates um, to see what that's like. Is there a a formula for producing content that engages people, what gets people um, to comment, all those things? I can I can certainly give you some best practice tips that I found over the last few years, which is um, you should keep in mind on LinkedIn. You should keep in mind where the breakpoints appear in your content. So if you write, let's say you've got 3,000 characters to write a post, you write a 3,000 character post, people are not going to see 3,000 characters in their feed. They'll, they might see two sentences. So the, those opening lines are essentially like a mini headline. That They're a promise that says, if you click see more, you're going to get more of this kind of thing that you that you're interested in. So, so those opening lines are really important and comments are the, the fastest accelerant of visibility on LinkedIn, but bar none. And so you need to write your content in a way that opens the door to people contributing. I think a lot of people make statement posts and there's, there's no opportunity for the reader to go, okay, and, and what do I say to that? You know, the, the, how do I contribute? So you've got to either deliberately leave something out of your content so that people fill in the gaps and contribute that, or the more obvious thing to do is to ask a, a relevant question, a relevant open question that gets people to share their experiences or, or provide dissenting opinions, if you want. Um, and that's what helps to get you visibility on LinkedIn. Uh, in terms of format, uh, I would I would mix up different uh, types of content. So you could do text posts, you could do image posts. For me, my data, which I'm really scrupulous with data collection, I found that document posts, which is when you make a text post and embed a PDF or a Word document or a PowerPoint, those posts will will get on average about 12,000 views for me versus a text post, which might be in the five to 8,000 region. And that's over four years. So that's statistically significant difference. Now, I'm not saying that that will necessarily translate to everyone else. But what, what I always tell people is test this stuff for yourself. Try all of the types of content and see what resonates for you and your audience. Um, I've also found that for me, Sunday is my best performing day in terms of visibility, followed by Saturday. And Friday is my worst performing day. So those three consecutive days, you go worst, second best, best. It's a, quite a jump. Um, and again, you should test these things to see what works for you. But I'm, I'm really all about the numbers and, and understanding what works um, and this is the kind of stuff that, I, you know, we talk about with members about what approach they should use and what works for them and how they could tweak. And so I review people's content and go, ah, if you put that paragraph there or if you change this word to this or if you move this image here, you know, they're all it's all about marginal gains for people. If you do that kind of stuff for long enough, it, it will work. Okay, cool. So is it the case then, because you've given us the message that, you know, you were like bamboo, you were growing underground for five years before you burst <laughs> yeah. towards the sun. Yeah. Um, have you, I think I know the answer, you must have found shortcuts then for people who are in your community. Are you seeing that it can happen faster for people now? Or are you saying it is a five years underground before you burst into the light process? Well, the, one of the things that inspired me for my book is is when my mentor did some research and found, he found, he interviewed more than 100 people and he found that the average time to be known in an industry, assuming you were doing the right things, was about 30 months, which is two and a half years. 
And I think he's concluded since then, and I agree with him, I've concluded the same, that if you follow the principles in books like Content DNA, not necessarily just my book, I think it's possible to do it in about nine months. I don't think it's possible to do it any sooner than that. And that's assuming a fair wind behind you, you know, all conditions being good. Um, I often tell people that what I'm saying is very often an unsexy message. It's a very simple kind of thing. You know, you define your personal brand, you create content that you think is going to help people, and you just keep showing up. You keep going to the gym every day, basically, rather than going to the gym once and assuming you're going to have a six-pack the next day. Just life doesn't work like that. You've got to show up. And most people don't have the stomach for that, and they will give up. And in my case, when I got involved, invested in LinkedIn at the start of 2017, I'd spent a whole year studying content marketing the year before, and I saw countless stories of people who got nothing, and then all of a sudden it started working. And for the first nine months, nothing happened for me. And I really mean like no offers of work, barely any comments. If I hadn't done that study, I'd have binned it off after, well, probably three weeks, but let's say six months, I would have binned it. And I would have been going around telling people that LinkedIn is a rubbish place, pointless, don't bother with it. These days, people approach me and say, you've got 44,000 followers and you get loads of views of your posts. I want that. And I'll say, right, well, do all of this stuff that I'm going to tell you for a few years and then let's have a chat. And they don't want to do that. No, and so, they... so either just go off to another platform or they'll maybe try some ads, which obviously won't work with them because all an ad does is amplify good or bad content. So if your content wasn't any good to begin with, you're just amplifying that rubbish. Yeah. And that's not going to work for you either. So, um, so yeah, it's just, you've got to stick in at it. And, and I'm, you know, the, the tagline of content DNA is about using consistency and congruence. So congruence is the shape of your brand, you know? So, so having that defined shape and consistency is turning up and doing the work for days, weeks, months, and probably years before you'll really be trusted and remembered in your industry. And if you can marry those things, clear brand, and repeated exposure, then it's pretty hard to see how you, you can't win. Okay, apart from the algorithms are against us, and thankfully LinkedIn well, haven't leveraged their algorithm in that way yet. Well, that, that, for, for the time being, that's the case. But what I'm doing with community, which is another topic that I'm talking about, I'm actually doing a keynote that mentions this next month, <laughs> uh, and I'll give you the, that exclusive, which is that, uh, the affiliation beats algorithm, right? So if you can get people to care enough about you that they want to invest in something that you're doing, like a community, that's the most obvious vehicle, you become immune to the algorithm because people are consciously looking out for the stuff that you're doing and you've got a direct relationship with your customers. You know, we always say in marketing, speak to your customers. How often do we speak to your, our customers? I know the names of my customers. They're all on my wall. Like that, there is no, um, there's no, there's no friction there. I, I can get direct access to them, and they can get direct access to me. No algorithm can touch me because those people are invested in me. But it just takes a while for them to care about you, and yeah. the sooner you can get them to to start caring by building your content, the better. A hundred percent. The thing is, community sounds so old-fashioned, man. That's what people were doing in two thousand sixteen. That's. That's old hat now. Man. Well, maybe um, uh, they probably were on Facebook, but I've always avoided the whole Facebook 
group thing because I, I just don't like the Facebook model really. Um, so so I've just avoided that. And I had a quite a downer on LinkedIn groups because everyone I'd been in was either a spam fest or a ghost town. Yeah, I just thought I'm going to run a LinkedIn group. It's going to have a clear purpose, clear leadership structure, and it's going to be people are going to be recognised. Like if you make a comment, I'm going to respond. I'm going to support you. I'm going to cheerlead you, um, and, and 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 it's just worked. So so community isn't easy to do, but it, it's really valuable, and and it is a good way of bypassing the algorithm. Hugely valuable, yeah, hugely valuable. Now, I'm glad you brought up ads because I don't want to have a conversation publicly ever about LinkedIn without letting everyone know that advertising on LinkedIn is a monumental waste of time and energy and money. Um, I've tested it a couple of times, as is my responsibility as someone who used to talk about LinkedIn quite a lot. Um, the last time I tested it, they claimed they sent me, I think it was 18 or 19 um, links, uh, visitors, um, at £17 a click. And when I looked at my analytics, uh, three of them had shown up for less than a second. So that yeah. was two or £300 um, I'll never see again. So don't waste your time and energy and money on, on advertising on LinkedIn. Join John's community. I think that would be a much better. Well, that's <laughs> um, very kind of you to say. I mean, in fairness, I've got to say that I do know people who specialize in ads and they will say that they can work so long as you know you follow certain rules and you've got enough of a budget i mean you're not going to be able to do linkedin ads effectively with in the order of hundreds of pounds you're probably going to be spending thousands of pounds per month and and therefore that puts you in into a different category of business who could probably realistically afford to do that like as a solopreneur i, I there's no way i could afford to do that it yes. can work and i do know people who actually make a business of it working for others. And so I'm happy to make referrals if anyone ever wants to try them. I'm just not the guy to help you with that because you know they've, they haven't worked for me. And, and I know my approach does work. It just takes a lot longer. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, I'm happy to say, I don't think it works. Keep your money, give it to John. That's what <laughs> I would say. <laughs> okay, cool. So that brings us then to question number three. Now, if you could answer this in a minute or two, because we want to chop this up and put it out onto TikTok is where we want to put it and we'll put it onto LinkedIn and all the places. So what is your recommendation then for people who um, want to get better at personal branding and LinkedIn visibility? Yeah, I think I would start by getting a really, really solid, memorable first 40 characters of your headline because that's what people will see in all parts of LinkedIn. If you make a post, if you make a comment, the first 40 characters should be attention grabbing, but also relevant to your industry. So think about that. Uh, and also to just start commenting on more relevant pieces of content. Even if you don't have something that you wanna say on your own feed, if you can go and find people who are creating content that's relevant in your industry, and you leave a thoughtful comment that supports them, gives an interesting opinion, something that's backed by data maybe, or your own personal experience, that's a great way of getting in front of second and third line networks and comments are the fastest way of getting seen on LinkedIn. So a clear headline, really good comment strategy, and that will get you in front of a lot more people. Okay. And what's the investment if people want to get there over two or three years? What can they be expecting to invest on a daily, weekly, monthly kind of basis? If it's so not money, then it, in a time, yeah. 
Yeah, I think I think it's possible to do it in about 20 minutes a day if, if you're really good at what you're doing. You probably need to spend some time upfront optimizing your profile because that's your shop window. If someone is really interested in doing their due diligence on you, they're going to look at your profile. If you haven't got a photo or a banner or a video or featured content or a well-written about statement, you know, these are some of the essential elements, then people are just going to move on. But if, if they're all in service of what your ideal reader is and there are the aim towards the call to action that your business offers, um, then then that's that's a great starting point. So so invest in the profile optimization first, and then go out and do the commenting. And if you're brave, you can break into the one to three percent who actually creates their own stuff. There's more time investment required in that. You don't need to go that far, but if you can go and comment uh, regularly on other people's content, then then you could do that in twenty minutes a day, and th- that will get you a lot of visibility. Cool. And you can do all of that for free, actually, because all of these tools are available through the free version of LinkedIn. So you don't even need to pay them a penny. And I'm testament to the fact that I'm only paying for the badge because of reputation. It's it's not for any practical reason. Can I just feed back? I don't think that's a good reason to be giving Microsoft £600 a year. Well, yeah, it's about 480 for me. They keep increasing the price, but whatever price you buy at, you're locked in at forever. So, it, okay. you know, it's a business expense and I, and I kind of justify it because if, if one client didn't sign up because of that reason, I've made my money back, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I get what you're saying then. Okay, super cool. I've just remembered where my 10,000 followers might have come from because in 2014, I produced a killer LinkedIn profile um, video that was ranking on YouTube for LinkedIn for like a long time. It's not anymore. Um, it's got 600,000 views, but people used to follow me a lot when that was really working. So that's testament to it doesn't have to be just happening on LinkedIn. You know, you'll get the benefit by investing in all these places. And I'm sure yep. you'd say that if you're producing content and you should be spreading the love around a little bit. Is that how you would put it? Absolutely. And also remember that unlike ads, where if you turn off the tap, you know, that all of your visibility goes away. If you're creating content that's evergreen, eternal content, as I call it, you're, 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 you're serving potential customers years down the line. So it's a really, it's an investment in your content estate. It's really valuable. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is really relevant about LinkedIn is that just because of the way people's careers go, like having a network on LinkedIn is a fantastic investment people only tend to progress up through their careers, become more responsible, have bigger budgets, all of those things. Um, so yeah, LinkedIn is preposterously good, I think. Okay, cool. Um, question number four, what should people read? You know anyone who's written anything about like producing content, um, anything like that? Well, yes, they could read Content DNA, which is uh, was published just at the start of the pandemic. Uh, and hopefully is is still got evergreen lessons that will help people define a personal brand and, and understand what good content actually looks like. Um, but I would actually, do you know what? The one business book I would probably recommend above everything is, and it's not even a business book, but it is re- relevant to businesses, is Influenced by Robert Cialdini, which oh. is, I think, published in 1984. It's been recently republished. It's just an absolute masterpiece in, in the way that human psychology works. And it's based on, um, you know, it's based on real experiments of how people behave in certain situations. And if you understand the the six laws of uh, influence that he comes up with in that book about reciprocity and authority and scarcity and things like that, those those things will serve you so well, regardless of what business you're in. It's just absolutely fascinating. It's quite a dense book, but it's, it's just gold. Um, and 
in the wrong hands, it could be a weapons manual because you will learn how people really think and act. Um, so please don't read it if you're if you're a douche canoe. But if you're not, then, then definitely check that one out. That I think that's the Bible for me in terms of um, I think like marketing books. I think that's the Bible because I think that's what you're doing when your marketing is influencing. But you're right. If yeah. you're in management or if you're leading people, if you're designing, if you're. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. that's an amazing book. Um, yeah. Anything else? I would also recommend Mark Schaefer's book Known, which mentioned the, the that contains the interview with 100 plus people about how long it takes to build a personal brand and the, the four steps that you need to take to get there. And uh, Mark kindly wrote the foreword for my book. And he said that my book was a good companion to his, which was a great compliment because he's I think he's written a masterpiece there. So it's called Known and he's Mark Schaefer. Fantastic. It's an excellent book. Excellent. So we will recommend. We're also going to chop these up and put these out as reading recommendations from the International League of Marvelous Marketeers. That's what it's going to go. This is going to be the brand, I think, the International League of Mar Marvelous Marketeers. Um, cool. So I need to check in and see how you are feeling about having been involved um, in this talk marketing kind of a process. Yeah, really good. I'm, I'm I'm delighted to have been invited, and it's been a it's been a really interesting conversation. So um, perhaps I can recommend someone who might want to be in the hot seat for next time. Well, hundred percent. That's where we're going. <laughs> so if you've had okay. a good experience, you should find it easier to throw a couple of people under the bus. Um, yes. And they need to be people that you can introduce us to, so that you know there's a chance. Sure. Although it doesn't sound like you know Sam well. Um, well, I mean, we've had a Zoom call. We've been connected for a, for a, for a while, and she's mentioned me in a book, which I, I sh shouldn't imagine many yeah, people yeah. get a mention in someone else's book. So that's um, especially if yeah. they do a very similar thing. Yeah, well, it's nice, isn't it? I mean, I, I always, I never see the competition as that. You know, it's all, they're always potential contributors and collaborators. I see. I, I don't really believe in the whole competition thing. If you're good enough at what you do, you shouldn't really be worried about others. I don't think. No. Um, I'm very much of that mindset. So yeah, it doesn't, the whole competition thing doesn't bother me at all. Excellent. So question number five, who can you throw under the bus who might endure or maybe even enjoy to have a conversation like this with me? Okay. So I can think of, I can think of a few people actually. So a couple of them are in my community. So one of them is Gillian Whitney, who is a, she calls herself a video easy peasy. Uh, queen of LinkedIn and she helps people with video marketing and she's absolutely fantastic really patient also used to be a former technical writer which is interesting okay. uh, and she's based in based in Las Vegas and I think she has five passports or something like that um, she's lovely and uh, I'm, I'm sure she would happily talk to you she's got a LinkedIn live show of her own every week but um, yeah she's she's a she's an excellent podcast guest um, another one is uh, Frank Prendergast, who works with his wife, and they they do branding and marketing and writing for clients. So they're very much in the marketing space, but in a in a very quirky way. You'll know if you get to meet Frank that he's a he's a quirky kind of guy. I've actually met him in person, and he's a member of my community as well. So he's fantastic, really good heart, and um, very very knowledgeable, and and just endlessly fascinating to talk with. Um, and the third guy, actually, it's top of mind because we've just done an interview, um, Ryan Anderson, who is, um, uh, let me describe him as a musical marketing guy. He makes funny music videos for people 
that help them market in a completely off the wall um, but memorable way. So Ryan Anderson, who's um, I think originally from Zimbabwe but is based in the UK and um, just a, a nicer guy you'd struggle to meet and um, also fascinating, very talented and is well worthy of opportunities like this because he hasn't really been interviewed very often. I think he's really just breaking into this market, but top, top bloke. Fantastic. So if you could make some kind of an introduction through LinkedIn or through email or whatever it might be, then we will pick up the ball and we will run from there. Is it Ryan who did your little music video? He did, the Content DNA song, yes, which was, I wasn't even expecting. He just said, I've done this. I've been working on this for three days. I hope you like it. It's like, wow, um, that's how you make an impression on someone. That's amazing. That's that's personalization taken to the nth level. Yes. Um, yeah, top bloke. But, well, you'll see how I do my intros, actually, because I will, um, I'll, I'll do that on LinkedIn, and, and hopefully you'll like that. I'm sure I will like that very much. So all that's left to do, we have gone over by three minutes. I hope that's okay. It's not always your problem for the rest of your day. Um, So what we'll do now is we'll say goodbye for the benefit of anyone who is still watching, and then I'll stop recording and we'll say goodbye like normal human beings, if that's cool. But man, this has been another fantastic conversation. It's like, you know, you hear people saying, slow down, take your time, invest, personalize, all those things. And I always kind of think, well, that's all right for you if you've got all the time and all the money in the world to do that, you know. But to actually hear from someone who's done it, it it only makes sense. You know, it only makes sense. I did another one of these this morning and the guy was saying, what were we saying? It was like, respect your customers, respect your audience. You know, that's all you have to do. And Mm. it's not what people are doing in their marketing, you know. So that conversation is going to precede this one. But I think they make good bed partners because... It's the same message, you know, invest something in this and the quality of the investment that comes back, I think, will be better. Okay, so thank cool. you kindly for having me, Martin. And that was the best interview I've done with a Man United fan, I would say. Okay. Well, I'm surprised Man United fans are talking to you. If if you hadn't had such a bad start to the season, we would never have had this conversation. <laughs> there we go. Silver lining on everything, isn't it? <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here, man. Cheers.